This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Hello, and welcome to Discovery. I'm Cal Steiger, your host, and I'm happy you could join us. It's summer in Canada, and our minds naturally turn to being outdoors and even exploring this great land of ours. In this episode, we're going to BC to learn more about an area known as the Caribou. It's a beautiful and remote area dotted with small towns and historical landmarks that is perfectly traversed by car, the name of this series, that highlights the history and importance of this area. This is a production of Caribou Auto Group, which produced a series of 10 episodes. Today we're going to hear three episodes, starting with Quinnell to Barkerville. British Columbia. It borders the mighty Pacific Ocean and features vast mountain ranges, flowing rivers, and impressive wildlife. But the true beauty of this immense province often shines when you embark off the beaten path. Among the regions to explore is British Columbia's central interior. Known as Caribou Country, it's situated between the Caribou Mountains and the Fraser River. From rolling hills to snow-capped mountains to raging rivers and sandy desert, the Caribou is a diverse landscape, rich in natural elements and primed for adventure. Our journey starts at one of the five dealerships within the Caribou Auto Group and takes us to historical landmarks, awe-inspiring scenery, and some of the most breathtaking places in BC, accessible by car. The story of British Columbia and how it came to be has its roots in the Caribou. Located 86.2 kilometers by car on Highway 26 from Caribou Ford and Quinell is a place where time stands still. Barkerville was the center of the Great Caribou Gold Rush, meaning a surge of immigrants flooded into the Caribou in hopes of striking gold. It's a story of new beginnings, adventure, and all too often greed, discrimination, and murder. On the route from Quinell to Barkerville, we enter the community of Bushy Lake. Well known for its rainbow trout, Bushy Lake is a 320-acre parcel of land that was purchased by William Boucher for just a dollar per acre. There are many roads in this area named after people involved in the formation of Bushy Lake, and Walken Road is one of them. Its name honors William Boucher's father, Jean-Baptiste Boucher, who is a voyager born of a Cree mother who worked for the Hudson's Bay Company. He was admired by local First Nations, who gave him the name Wakan, which may mean watchman in Cree, because one of his duties was that of a watchman. At first, the relationship between the newly landed immigrants and the First Nations was one of mutual respect. First Nations people provided canoes and food and acted as guides and translators. As the number of prospectors to the region increased, so did the rush to find gold. Then the First Nations became marginalized and even terrorized on their own land to make room for those seeking riches. Now further up the road is the community of Wingdom, it's about 30 minutes by car east of Quinell. 
With a population only in the hundreds, it's a sleepy town, but that may soon change as one company looks to continue the history of gold mining 160 years after the first gold rush. If a new gold rush does come back to the caribou, you can be sure it will be much more advanced than it was in the 1800s. Countless immigrants made the trek from Lillooet to Barkerville, so various communities sprang up along the way. There are still towns named for their distance from Lillooet. That's how 70 Mile House, 100 Mile House, and 150 Mile House got their names. The house is referring to a roadhouse where travelers could get lodging and food. Many made the trip by foot, and it would take weeks to arrive. At the time, Lillooet was known for camels. Yes, camels were the animal of choice when it came to traveling up the canyon with supplies. Considering that camels were used to move goods in other countries, it was thought they'd work just as well in BC. Local historian Richard Wright. It's not just another bizarre story. It's, it's like, it tells us how, how difficult it was that somebody would import camels from the Gobi Desert to San Francisco to Victoria to get supplies to the gold fields. Unfortunately, soon it was discovered that camels were not in fact well equipped to navigate the mountainous terrain and deep canyons of the interior. So rather than ship them back to the Gobi Desert in Central Asia, the miners simply let them go. As a result, British Columbia had wild camels roaming the interior until the last one was spotted in 1905. All of the communities along Highway 26 are connected to the gold rush in some way. Cottonwood, which is at the halfway mark from Quesnel to Barkerville, was one of the primary stops along the original Caribou Wagon Road. The wagon road was developed in an effort to make traveling to and from the Caribou goldfields easier. Before it was created, the first version of the Caribou Road was known as the Mule Trail, an extremely hazardous cliffside path that was only wide enough for a single mule to pass. In order to lower supply costs and make transporting gold and workers safer, the construction of a $1.5 million highway began in 1861. This highway was revised three times over the next 25 years, serving as the main artery in and out of the gold fields and the communities that followed. The gold rush came to an end around 1867, but the rich deposits of gold found in the Barkerville region were worked by some until the mid-1930s. I love gold! Although gold was famously celebrated in the Austin Powers movie Gold Member, gold fever actually erupted in 1858 in Canada after the discovery by the governor of Vancouver Island, James Douglas. After the news spread, hundreds of ships filled with eager Americans, Europeans, South Americans, Australians, and Chinese traveled north across the Pacific Ocean in search of wealth and the promise of a new life. Gold is so valuable because of its properties. It's the densest of all metals and serves as a great conductor of both heat and electricity. It's also the most malleable of the elements and doesn't tarnish or corrode. Gold was the basis for the world's currency from 1870 until the First World War. It's been used as a medium of exchange because it's so highly valued and in pretty limited supply. The first known gold transaction dates back over 6,000 years. British prospector Billy Barker was the first miner to strike gold in Barkerville, which is how the town got its name and why it came to life seemingly overnight. 
Barkerville quickly became the largest North American city west of St. Louis and north of San Francisco. Traveling to Barkerville from the coast was not easy. Supplies of food were often exhausted before the trek was finished. Trading occurred regularly with the First Nations people along the way to help make sure that the team had food and supplies. But if it wasn't for the lack of energy and looming starvation, the prospectors' horses would understandably slow down from fatigue. When this happened, sometimes the travelers would put them down for their meat to avoid starvation. Surviving the trip was only the beginning. Once you arrived safely, the hard work began. Prospectors needed to dig deep holes in order to have any chance of finding gold. Only one out of every 100 prospectors ever found anything of value. When they weren't out digging for gold, the miners had to survive the elements. Most buildings were built on posts to protect residents from flash floods. Mud streets and pathways were only broken up by plank sidewalks located in the nicer areas of town. Besides the mud and the harsh working conditions, those that came to Barkerville in search of riches also had to deal with competitors driven by greed. It wasn't uncommon for men to threaten each other with their pistols after too many drinks at the saloon. Corruption and crime were abundant during the gold rush, and one notable awful tale involved a woman named Angus McVie who traveled to Barkerville from Scotland. In her hometown, Angus was a wanted woman, charged with seven murders and multiple assaults. Angus owned a local hotel. She made her money in human trafficking, and anyone that got in her way was dealt with quickly and permanently. Over the course of the next several years, more than 59 bodies were found in the small lakes of the area, all of which were suspected to be victims of Angus. In 1885, Angus was charged with various crimes, including murder, and had been scheduled to go to trial. But before her trial began, Angus died of suicide to avoid being hanged. Treasure hunters are intrigued by the story of Angus McVie because it's said she buried much of her bounty in the nearby fields of Barkerville. Although her treasure was estimated to be between 100,000 and 150,000, only 8,500 has ever been rediscovered. The hotel owned by Angus was torn down in 1892 and moved to the other side of the road. It became a store and a post house, which still stands to this day at 108 Mile Historical Ranch. Immigrants from China played a large role in the gold rush days. Jim Ritchie is a prospector from Cherryville, British Columbia. They were some of the best taught miners there were. I do believe in China, they actually studied on how to mine for gold, their ancestors mined for gold. They knew how the old ancient channels ran through the country from the glacier movement and everything, and that's the ones that they chased. Discrimination toward the Chinese prevented them from prospecting anywhere other than on abandoned sites. Despite this racism and cruel treatment, their community thrived by providing many required services to the 20,000 prospectors who came into Barkerville in the 1860s. Operating grocery stores and restaurants and working as merchants made sense for them. White mine laborers earned $6 per day, while the Chinese earned $3.50 for the same job. The government also collected hiked claim fees from them, yet they weren't allowed to vote. They were also prevented from purchasing crown land. If you were a Chinese male and over the age of 14, you were also required to pay an annual head tax of 
Over the years, many Chinese immigrants lost their lives through accidents, exposure to the elements, disease, murder, and even suicide. In the Quenel Fork Cemetery, up to 40 Chinese men and a few women are buried there from that tragic time in our history. But in Chinese culture, it's believed that the soul can't rest and is doomed to continue to wander the earth until the bones are returned to their birthplace in China. As a result, local officials were required to dig up the graves, tag the bones with contact information, and have them transported in bags to Victoria, where they would be sent back to Hong Kong. That is, until the cost to do so became too high. One of the first Chinatowns in Canada was actually set up in Barkerville during the gold rush. It was also one of the areas that survived the Great Barkerville Fire. The fire broke out on September 16, 1868. The cause was said to be an altercation between a miner and a local performer. The dancer had been ironing her costume in the back of the local saloon for her evening performance when a man snuck up behind her without consent. As she attempted to defend herself, a stovepipe was knocked over and quickly set the building ablaze. Because all structures were made of logs, sod lumbered, or a combination of both, the fire all but wiped out the town. In less than 20 minutes, the entire village of Barkerville was engulfed in flames. When it was over, 116 buildings had been destroyed at an estimated value of $700,000 or $13 million by today's standards. Despite the human toll, the Caribou Gold Rush was very profitable for some. 1863 was considered to be the most profitable year with over $4 million in gold collected from local creeks and rivers and transported out of the Caribou region. Today, there's talk of another gold rush forming in both Wingdom and Wells. Bonanza Ledge, an existing gold mine that overlooks the town of Wells, is hoping to dig for gold for the next 16 years. It confirms that this region is still rich in resources and that gold fever is alive and well. Although Barkerville is considered a ghost town today, you can still visit to see the more than 125 historical buildings and costumed actors play out what life was like during the great gold rush of the 1860s. Good day folks, my name is William Barker, Billy Barker, most people call me that. And this is Barkerville, the town that they say is named after me, but it's actually named after my mine. The mine is named after me though. In the early uh, mining season of 1861, I made my way up here to Stuart Kalid is the production manager for Barkerville's historic town park. So if people are coming to Barkerville during the summertime, they're going to walk through our gates and they are going to see the history of the 1860s gold rush all the way up to the 1940s come to life before their very eyes. They have performers who are on the street doing scenes and tours, uh, talking about different aspects of people's lives. And there's live theater shows. Our shops are open. There are horse carriage rides, there are restaurants, there's a bakery, the Chinese food here is excellent, and there's a lot of different cultural experiences for everyone of all ages to enjoy. And what about visiting in the winter? If you come here in the winter, things are very different. There's a lot of snow, it gets very cold. So all of our programming, our shops and our restaurants, they shut down during that time. Uh, we take a little break, we start planning for the next year, but people can still come and go through our walk-in gate explore the town, check out the buildings. There's lots of snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, snowmobiling. Our cottages are open for booking through the winter as well. So you can come and stay here and enjoy your winter's getaway in the peace and quiet of the Caribou Mountains. The authenticity is absolutely important to what we do. We want people, when they come through those gates, 
to lose themselves in the history. And the best way to do that is to try and create a thick veil so that they actually feel like they've been lost back in time. So that means making sure that our accents are as authentic yet understandable as possible. The language that we are using is authentic to the time that we are portraying and that the topic matters come very much from the time. But what we have found is that there are so many different things through history that are timeless. And we are always attempting to connect to the human condition, both in the past and in the present. And as for the summer, what is the one thing that you must see in Barkerville? So if you're coming to Barkerville for the first time and you only have a couple hours, there's so much to see. You want to think about the one thing that you have to see while you are in town. And folks, that is the Theatre Royal Show. The show is an hour-long, family-friendly music and comedy variety show, and it features all of the townspeople that you are going to see and meet as you make your way up the street. So you've already established a relationship with some of these people, and now you're going to see them have a lot of fun on stage. So the show is all about creating a raucous time where people are going to be stomping their feet, their sides are going to be splitting because they're laughing so hard, and in a couple cases, they might even catch themselves wiping a tear away from them. Here, you can imagine how the Caribou region came to be and all that was won and lost in the process. Our next episode is Fort St. James. Today, we begin in Vanderhoof and travel along Highway 16 to Highway 27. Our first stop, Fort St. James. Fort St. James is a small community in northern BC built around the National Historic Site of the Hudson's Bay Company Post. Bob Grill, site manager of Fort St. James National Historic Site. Fort St. James was established in 1806 by the Northwest Company. And it was here primarily because of the water routes. So the water routes were the highways then. It's the largest group of original wooden buildings representing the fur trade in Canada. So it's unique that way. And then the architecture tells the story of the people who lived here. Lisa Shepard, Métis artisan and dancer. Fort St. James is an incredible venue. To look around and see the buildings, you know, it's so evident that a lot of care and a lot of love has gone into preserving this place. And when people come here, I think they just feel that. When you come to Fort St. James National Historic Site, you go out on site, and in each building is a costumed interpreter. And those interpreters all talk about the history of the site. Karen Rutledge is a historian with Parks Canada. The site had for a long time done quite a good job of incorporating the Carrier First Nation story, but if you think of the story as just being one of Euro-Canadian newcomers and local First Nations, you really miss a huge part of what was going on there. There were so many Métis people who worked at Fort St. James in its history as a fur trade fort. The Métis people emerged as a distinct nation in North America during the late 1700s. The Métis have their own culture, traditions, and language and are integral to the rich diversity of BC. Our second detour takes us to Stewart Lake, approximately 35 kilometers from Fort St. James. It's the eighth largest lake in BC. 66 kilometers long and 10 kilometers wide, Stewart Lake is 40 minutes from Vanderhoof, just outside of Fort St. James, and was named after John Stewart, a Scottish-born explorer and part of the force behind the Hudson's Bay Company. Here, there are really only three seasons, 
The first six months are a mashup of both spring and summer, and in the last six months of the year, the lake is covered in ice. No matter the time of year, the lake continues to attract residents and visitors with an abundance of sports fishing, catching rainbow and lake trout, kokanee, and mountain whitefish. Stewart Lake is not only known for its fishing, it's also one of the oldest non-native settlements in BC, comprising nearly 300 kilometers of waterway, featuring a chain of lakes, streams, and rivers, accommodating one of the largest sockeye salmon runs in the world. Together, these lakes provide some of the most rugged and remote wilderness in BC. One interesting site off the lake shore is the 21 different petroglyphs created by the First Nations people. Petroglyphs are made by carving away at the outer surface of rock, exposing the lighter rock underneath. The petroglyphs here in the Stuart Lake region are thought to depict vision quests, hunting, or seeking the help of spirits. We can see carvings that depict cattle, caribou, tribes, fire, and what appears to be an attempt to depict the concept of time. Some theorize the petroglyphs may have been a way of transmitting information, while others suggest religious or ceremonial purposes. The images are not the only thing that has the researchers curious. The decision on where to carve them has also been up for debate. Most historians believe that petroglyph placement was intentional and has just as much purpose and meaning as the images themselves. Just another example of the wonders, wildlife, and ancient history that exists on every detour we take in British Columbia. Detours that you can only experience by car. By Car is a presentation of Caribou Auto Group. We encourage you to get off the beaten path, explore the wonders of your local BC community, and connect with folks who live there. Our five dealerships are here to make sure your vehicle is up to the challenge. Visit caribouautogroup.com to contact one of our GM, Ford, or Toyota dealers. Thanks for listening. Our last episode is Dog Creek and Gang Ranch. Colorful names and great stories. Today's detour begins in Williams Lake. Jason Ryle, executive director for the Williams Lake and District Chamber of Commerce. When you come to Williams Lake, it's going to be almost impossible for you to ignore the fact that the lake is the heart of our community. If you wanted to visit Williams Lake and experience it in the various seasons, there's everything to do from downhill skiing at one of our nearby ski hills, which is Mount Timothy, which is about uh, half an hour's drive away from the city of Williams Lake. And then there's another ski hill called Troll Resort, which is about an hour and a half away from Williams Lake. So downhill skiing, cross-country skiing, snowshoeing is also a really popular activity and it's just growing leaps and bounds. Williams Lake and area, especially once you get a little bit away from the city, it's a bit of a mecca for people who enjoy trail activities. In the wintertime, that includes snowmobiles and uh, you know getting out into the Caribou Mountains. Uh, it's a real hotbed for activities. There's also backcountry skiing that people can do. And then on top of that, if you don't mind traveling a little bit further away from Williams Lake, uh, at the east end of Quinnell Lake, there is a heli skiing operation. And then west of Williams Lake towards Bella Coola, closer to Bella Coola, which is a six hour drive from Williams Lake, there's heli skiing operations there, which are world-class facilities. And what about the spring? What kind of activities are available then? Springtime, Williams Lake is referred to as a mecca for mountain bikers and people who enjoy trail activities. Summertime is full of activities and festivals and events. 
Williams Lake plays home to the largest rugby festival in British Columbia during the Stampede or the Canada Day long weekend. It also coincides with our world-famous Williams Lake Stampede, which attracts people from, you know, by the thousands to come from all over North America to come and enjoy the Western culture and the rodeo culture that goes along with that. In the fall, it's a popular time to head west to Bella Coola, especially for people who enjoy fishing, salmon fishing especially at that. Um, Williams Lake is the inland gateway to the Great Bear Rainforest as well. If you wanted to travel to the Great Bear, then you've got to come through Williams Lake. There's lots to see and do pretty much any time of the year, and Williams Lake is happy to host. From Williams Lake, we're back on the road, traveling along Highway 20, also known as the Chilcotin Highway, named after the original stewards of this area, the Chilcotin people, and officially named the Alexander Mackenzie Highway. This is one of the two main east-west routes in the central interior of British Columbia. We take a detour off the highway to stop in Dog Creek. Dog Creek is a little ways away from Williams Lake. It's 85 kilometers away from the city proper of Williams Lake. It's the First Nations Reserve, and uh, it's usually referenced more as a small community, but also a bit of a crossroads. So people would use the community of Dog Creek as a jumping off point to get into the Chilcotin areas like Gang Ranch or Empire Valley Ranch. Surrounded by a dramatic blend of plateaus, valleys, and fertile fields, this land has space for farming and ranching. To most people, the term farm and ranch are used interchangeably. However, a farm and a ranch are quite a bit different. If you're a fan of the hit show Yellowstone, you'll understand what a ranch is. Maybe without as much drama or Kevin Costner. By definition, Dog Creek is an unincorporated ranching settlement located on the Fraser River in the Caribou region of British Columbia and across from Gang Ranch on the west side of the river. The two are connected by an old suspension bridge that's still in use today. Gang Ranch is one of the largest cattle ranches in Canada, just under 30,000 acres of private land and an additional million acres of leased crown land for grazing. This is cowboy country. American brothers Jerome and Thaddeus Harper had been ranching and gold mining in California when they found cattle prices too high. They heard of the gold rush in BC and how thousands of miners were migrating there. The Harper brothers began to drive cattle north to British Columbia in hopes of cashing in on the higher market. They quickly became the largest landowners in BC, owning large portions of ranch land all through the interior. One of their most well-known ranches, the Gang Ranch, started in 1863. After a severe winter in 1887, in an unsuccessful attempt to avoid personal bankruptcy, the Gang Ranch was sold to the Western Canadian Ranching Company. Access to the Gang Ranch is over a single-lane steel suspension bridge that spans the Fraser River and is maintained by the provincial government. The ranch has changed hands several times over the years, once sold to a U.S. billionaire in 2004 for approximately $93 million. That billionaire, Stanley Kronk, is the owner of the L.A. Rams, the NBA's Denver Nuggets, and NHL's Colorado Avalanche. Most recently, Gang Ranch was purchased by the Douglas Lake Cattle Ranch in 2022 for an undisclosed sum. That's it for today's edition of Discovery, the show for podcast creators and listeners. If you'd like to hear the podcast again or want to know more about Discovery, go to our website at 1059theregion.com and click on the podcast tab. If you'd like to recommend a podcast we should sample, email me 
Cal at 1059theregion.com. Thanks for joining me, and I hope to have you back next week on Discovery. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 1059 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.